Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, um, how many of you uh, were born before 1994? Okay, good. I just, I just want to check. Uh, if you were around in the early 90s, uh, some of you, I'm not, never mind, I just will stop right there. Uh, if you were around in the early 90s, then you will probably remember uh, this slogan claimed by Radio Shack, all right? So I'm going to play a, play a commercial for you. How many remember the slogan, you've got questions, we've got answers? Man, I remember when that first came out, that slogan was coined in 1994 uh, by Radio Shack, claiming you come in with any question and we've got the answer. That's not my slogan. You've got questions, we've got answers. My slogan is more like, you've got questions, don't ask me because I'm just trying to figure it out too and I have no idea. Every one of us have those times, if you, especially if you have kids, you have times when you're asked a question, but you don't know the answer. Maybe there's times that you've been asked a question and you know the answer, but you don't wanna give the answer. Um, perhaps it's because you know the person asking you the question can't maybe process the answer. Maybe they're not gonna respond well to the answer. Maybe it's because the question that you were asked is one of those challenging questions or one of those um, awkward questions. This morning, we're going to come into a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter number seven, where Paul is gonna deal with some challenging and awkward questions that bring about some challenging and awkward answers. But the great thing is, Paul's not gonna deal with any of this from his own wisdom. Paul's slogan would be, you've got questions, God's got answers. And I'm thankful today that we have a God that knows everything, don't you? Aren't you thankful for that? And I'm thankful we have a God who knows all the answers to all of our questions. He knows the questions even before we ask them. And so this morning, we're gonna look at some challenging questions, some awkward questions, but we're gonna get God's answers and I'm looking forward to it. First Corinthians chapter seven, before we look at the passage, let's kind of be reminded of where we're at in our series and what we've been studying. The book of First Corinthians, of course, written by Paul. Paul was one. Excuse me, Paul was one who was, um, before he trusted Christ, he was a great persecutor of the church. If you recall, you'll know with me that uh, the, the book of Acts records that Paul, his name was Saul of Tarsus, and he was a, a great persecutor of believers. He was, he was one that thought he was going about doing good, attacking Christians, killing Christians. But then he, he trusted Christ as Savior, and he realized that Jesus is the Messiah, and that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And, and God transformed the life of Paul. And Paul, if you go and, and read the book of Acts from Acts chapter 9 all the way through uh, Acts chapter 28, you find much of it is about the life of Paul, really from Acts 13 all the way to Acts 28. It's all about the life of Paul, the ministry of Paul, and how God used Paul to totally change the world. Well, one of those places that God used Paul in is the city of Corinth. Corinth, of course, 
We know that it was kind of a, a commerce city, a, a city of trade. We know from being uh, in our series that Corinth was a well-known city. It was a well-traveled city. Corinth was uh, kind of a metropolitan area. Really only second to Rome in notoriety would be the city of Corinth. But also the city of Corinth, this, this place was probably even more popular than Rome because it was the city where you could go from ruin to riches in one generation. Now to us in, in America, that's not, that's not that big of a, of a thing uh, because man, uh, really in America, the, you, you know, it's the land of opportunity, right? People want to come to America, even still to this day. And, and those of us that have been here, uh, you know, our whole lives have seen the economy change, but even to this day, People want to get to America. Why? It's a land of opportunity. I can fulfill my dreams. And so it's not much to see someone maybe go from ruin to riches in one generation. Back then, it was a lot. But Corinth was the place to see it happen. Someone could be a freed slave that could be in their, in their 30s or 40s and go to Corinth and have a name for themselves and have riches by the time they're in their 60s or 70s. I mean, just in a 30, 40 year span. But Corinth was not only known for its um, availability in the economic world, but Corinth was also known for its availability in the sinful things. Corinth was a horrific place. If you do research, you would find, and we've said this through our series, that Corinth was so bad that almost all people, Roman citizens, they looked at Corinth and the, the put down was, you know, if you really wanted to slight somebody, if you really wanted to dog somebody, uh, you'd say, oh, well, you're just being like a Corinthian. Oh, well, you're just like a Corinthian. And that, that was calling somebody worse than a dog, calling somebody worse than an infidel. You're being like a Corinthian. Well, why, why did people have that, that terminology, why they have that slang, why they have that put down because of what Corinth was known for, known for immorality, known for drunkenness, known for uh, just horrific crimes and vices of all shapes and sizes. And, and Corinth was that place. Well, Paul shows up, he begins to preach Christ and you can go and study it out in the book of Acts where God changes people. Man, people begin to trust Jesus and God moves in and that, that wicked city begins to have a glimmer of hope because of Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus brings hope into your life? Man, he brings hope to every situation. And even the hopeless situations, Jesus can bring hope into it and hope out of it and good things from it. And that's what was taking place in the book or in the city of Corinth. Well, Paul would leave. He would go back then uh, to the city of Corinth. And when Paul would get back to the city of Corinth, Brian, can you take the... Uh, whatever thing off of this. Can you come do that? It keeps shutting down and I keep having to put a passcode in and it's just annoying because I can't remember if it's my iPad or the church's, so I forget the password. Uh, Paul left Corinth and when Paul left Corinth, a few years later, he begins to receive word that uh, Corinth is, the church at Corinth isn't doing too hot. The believers at Corinth, they're, they're, they're fighting amongst themselves. They're factionalized. Um, he's finding out that there's egregious sin that has, has found its way into the church. And, and be mindful this morning, we're all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. You say, well, pastor, that's so mean. No, it's the truth. Just ask your husband or your wife. Just ask your kids. They'll tell you, you're a sinner. Man, we're all sinners in need of grace. And so I understand that we're all sinners, but what the church had done at the church of Corinth is they had stop standing up against sin. They had stopped saying, no, no, that's, that's sin. We don't need that. No, hey, let's get that out. And so sin had crept in. And Paul hears about all of these things and Paul writes back to them. Well, in our study, 1 Corinthians chapters one through six is Paul addressing things that he had heard about. You can go to the end of the book and you find that there's a, a group of people that travel. Uh, there's a group of people that travel to uh, see Paul, Stephanus, Achaicus, and uh, um, uh, Fortunatus is his name. Or Fort... You can go look it up and figure out how to pronounce it. They all go and they, they visit Paul. And then there's a group from the house of Chloe. You find that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They travel to meet with Paul. And they begin telling Paul about all the things going on. And so the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul just kind of addresses a, a myriad of topics. He's just writing about the factionalism and all these different things. 
But from chapter seven all the way through the end of the book, Paul begins to deal with questions. Apparently, the church at Corinth had written him a letter and they had asked various questions. And so from here on out, from 1 Corinthians 7 all the way through 1 Corinthians 16, you're going to see, now concerning this that you wrote me about. Okay, now, now touching this what you wrote me about. Okay, now I wanna talk to you about this question that you had. They had questions like, what does God say about the end times? They had questions like, Paul, what are God's thoughts on marriage? Paul, what is... What what about meat that's offered to idols? Should we eat that or not eat that? What does God say about the resurrection? What what are God's thoughts about love or about the Lord's table? What's God's thoughts on money and how we steward our finances? What what about spiritual gifts? Paul, what about giftedness within the church and and the Holy Spirit and, and these different things, the gift of prophecy? Paul, what about all of these things? And so from chapter seven all the way through the end of the book, Paul just answers all of these questions. This morning, we start with Paul at probably the hardest question of them all. Probably the most challenging question of them all. Probably the most awkward question in all of it. And the question this morning that is asked from the church to Paul is, Paul, what does God think? What does God think about the relationship between a man and a woman? Paul, what does God say about marriage and singleness And Paul, what are God's thoughts about the physical relationship between a man and a woman? I'm just gonna be a little blunt this morning and then I'll preface everything I'm about to say. Paul, what are God's thoughts on sex? You say, Pastor, we can't talk about that in church. Yes, we can, because God talks about it. Okay, the the Bible addresses all of these issues. And this morning, we're going to look at this sensitive topic, and I recognize we're on a Sunday morning. I recognize the company that's in here, mixed company with teenagers and kids. I recognize the company that's in here of married people and single people and widows and all of that. Here's the great thing about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It addresses all of it. It is an awesome chapter, and I think we'll be helped this morning as Paul answers the question, What does God say about the relationships between men and women? Take your Bible, if you would. Let's just read one verse to get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Stand with me, if you will. Give you a moment to stretch before I preach for two hours. I only had one amen. I guess I'll only go an hour and a half. You laugh now. Wait till you see how much we have to cover. I'm teasing. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1, Paul said this. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, there's that phrase. If you're gonna be here with us through the rest of our series, we'll bring attention to that phrase every time because it highlights a new set of questions. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, Paul said this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. I'm gonna stop right there this morning and some of you are thinking, well, that's a weird place to stop. What's the rest of it say? I'm glad you asked. We're going to get into it and we're gonna hear God's thoughts about this subject and I really do believe this morning will be a help and a challenge no matter what stage of life you're in. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us today. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you take a minute and just in the quietness of your heart, would you ask God, God, would you speak to my heart this morning? God, would you speak to my heart this morning? And then would you commit to the Lord? God, as you speak to me, I'm listening to you and I'm responding. I wanna respond to you. God, I'm listening and I wanna respond to you. Dear Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it applies into every area of our life. And Father, I pray this morning that you would Help your word, help your message, Father, that you would take it and that you would put it in each of our hearts, Lord, that we would know how it applies to us and that we would make a decision based upon how you speak to us. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help us. I pray that you'd challenge us. I pray most of all, if there's someone that's here that does not know for certain that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you. We love you, God. Thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I don't normally do this, but I wanna read uh, something that I had written that I just wanna uh, read kind of as we start this morning. Because I recognize, again, as I stated, I recognize the audience this morning, and I recognize the, um, the touchy subject that we're going to be talking about. But I hope that we can be mature about it. I recognize there's teenagers, and there's some in here that are maybe even younger than that. But today, I just want you to know, first off, today we're going to address this in a biblical manner, and we're going to address it in an appropriate manner. All right? So I want to read this. Uh, That way it'll help us. Our topic this morning can be a little challenging and awkward. It can be something that we often try to tiptoe around, something that we try to avoid. But we need to remember this morning that the Lord speaks into every area of our life. And he does it for the purpose of our growth and our development. He does it to help us understand purpose and to help us experience real fulfillment. We've already learned a little about the subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because in these couple of chapters, Paul addresses the topic of sexual immorality, fornication as well, and fornication as well as God's plan for marriage and God's plan for singleness. And since God's the creator of life, we should desire his will and his plan for every aspect of our life. And while I recognize the crowd we have this morning, I will say, just as I said a few weeks ago, this is an area of life that we need to hear about. And I say that because of the fact that our culture does not shy away from the subject that we're going to talk about today. If you've been in here, the fact is that our world, our world is a messed up place when it comes to the topic of a relationship between men and women. The world is a messed up place in that manner. Uh, they, the world is a messed up place when it comes to the idea of marriage. The world is a messed up definition of love and uh, physical fulfillment. But our culture, our, this is interesting, our culture's outlook and the outlook of Corinth were one and the same. You say, well, what do you mean, pastor? If you'll remember a few things about the city of Corinth, while it was a popular city, as I stated a moment ago, it was a vile city. As a matter of fact, it was so vile that it was known for the worship of the goddess Aphrodite or the, the goddess of lust. It was known for illicit activities, including over a thousand temple prostitutes. It was known for being a lewd town with drunkenness and all sorts of, of abuse and all sorts of drug use and all sorts of, uh, of, running, of uh, running around and just kind of, you and I might call it the party life. I mean, that's what Corinth was known for. And Corinth... Listen, Corinth commercialized sexuality. I want to ask you, have you seen that done in our society? Man, everything, everything commercializes sexuality. Billboards, commercials, um, ads, social media, the uh, new different brands of social media, everything tries to take what God created uh, in the form of a physical relationship between a man and a woman. Everything takes it and says, hey, this can be yours now. Hey, just go live it up. Hey, just go enjoy it. Hey, no restraint. Hey, the world has a messed up view of it. And I'm gonna be a little blunt this morning to, uh, to parents in here today because some parents in here, and, and I'm a parent as well of, of three, uh, three teenagers, basically two teenagers and a 12-year-old, but he's in seventh grade and Micah's probably the oldest 12-year-old you'll ever meet because he always has like adult, com- you know, he, he talks. Micah's just a cool kid. Anyway, <laughs> my other kids are cool too. Dennis, you're cool too. Lena, you're cool too. Just want you guys to know. <sighs> digging myself in a hole here. <clears throat> I want to be honest with some parents here, and, and I, I, want, I want you to hear, free, hear from me and from my heart regarding this. Parents and grandparents, don't be, don't, be, don't be naive and foolish. Listen, don't be naive and foolish to think that your kids and your grandkids are growing up in the same culture that you grew up in, because that is not the case. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, people had to work at 
finding things that are now possible and, and everything just at the click of a button. And don't be naive to think, well, that, you know, that, that's, my kids are never gonna be involved in that. My, my kids, you know, I mean, we're a Christian family. I mean, I've, I've prayed and the Bible says, you know, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll, they'll not depart from that. And, and so I'm just gonna, you know, that don't, don't be naive to think that the devil doesn't have a bullseye on your family's life to say, I wanna ruin your life by getting into your children's lives and your teenagers' lives. Don't be naive to think, well, why are we talking about this at church? I mean, I deal with these subjects in my home. Hey, the public school is gonna deal with this. Your, their friends are gonna deal with this. Uh, TikTok and, and, and uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, all of that stuff is gonna deal with the subject. And so why don't we just deal with it church the way God intended. All right, and then it's going to give you some ammo to be able to go home and say, hey, no, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what God says. Because the fact of the matter is, we all have questions. And all of the questions that Paul dealt with, we all have. I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me just in the last year and a half, hey, pastor, what's the, um, what's the Bible say about end times? Pastor, I'm really afraid about everything that's going on. Pastor, they were the same way. They wrote to Paul, like, Paul, what about the resurrection? Paul, what about end times? Paul, did you hear about the catastrophes? And Paul writes to the churches. He writes to Ephesus and Colossae, writes to all of them about even uh, um, about um, current events that were going on and how it connected to the Bible. They had the same questions we do. And one of those questions is, what does God say about marriage? What does God say if I'm a widow? What does God say if I'm single? And the awesome thing is, you've got questions, God's got answers. So what's God say? What's God's plan for all of these things? Notice some thoughts with us this morning. First off, I want us to see God's plan for every married couple. All right, God's plan for every married couple. For the sake of time this morning, we are just gonna really press the gas and we're gonna go. So take notes, dial in. Hopefully the Facebook doesn't... Go, go down, because if you miss something, just go back and watch it later. Uh, but we're, we're gonna fly this morning. What does God say? What's God's plan for every married couple? First Corinthians chapter seven, verse number one. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, any sexual activity outside of marriage, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render, give unto the wife, do benevolence, that which is needed and necessary. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. And the wife hath, power, hath not power of her own body, but the husband. Likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Skip down if you would to verse number 10. All right, now listen. We're gonna read the verses, then we're gonna gather the principles. Normally we kind of do it and go along. Today we're just reading the verses, get it in our mind, and then doing the principles. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10. Now unto the married, I command, yet not I but the Lord, let uh, um, not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife, but to the rest, all right? So to the married, stay married. To the rest, those of you, now, I've got to, uh, yep, yeah, I'm gonna do it anyway. <clears throat> when, when we address those two verses right there, verse 10 and 11, and Paul says to the married, he's talking to people who both couples, both, both partners, the husband and the wife, they both know Christ, they're both saved, and they're married. When he says, but to the rest, he's talking to people who we're going to see one spouse knows the Lord and one spouse doesn't know the Lord. That's what this verse is saying. But to the rest, uh, speak I, not the Lord. Now, I gotta pause again. 
When you read the phrase, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, three or four times, you'll read the phrase where Paul says, uh, I'm speaking into this area, but not the Lord. That's not Paul saying, hey, I'm giving you something that God hasn't given me. No, Paul is saying this. During the ministry of Jesus, Jesus maybe didn't speak specifically on this topic. We have all the recorded words of, or not all, but we have many of the recorded words of Christ we know that John wrote heaven, heaven could not contain all of the words that were preached by him and the miracles that were done by him. So here's what Paul is saying in all of those places in 1 Corinthians. We're gonna read it today. Hey, listen, Jesus didn't preach on this, but God's told me to say this. God's told me to give this to you. All right, <clears throat> what's he say? To the rest speak I, not the Lord, but if any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. But, or excuse me, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. That word sanctified there, it just means there's an extra blessing in the home. There's an extra blessing in the home because of the, the saved person. Else were your children unclean, but now are they wholly set apart. But if the unbelieving depart... Let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, verse 16, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? That's a lot of verses, isn't it? And there's a lot there. But we're gonna notice some things this morning. I want you to notice first, before we kind of go into everything, I wanna lay some groundwork that, um, that, would be, that would be known to the believers in Corinth and are known to us because of scripture. Four principles about marriage before we really get into this passage. Number one, God defines marriage, okay? In the Bible, God defines marriage. What is marriage? One man, one woman, one lifetime. All right, what is marriage? One man, one woman, one lifetime. I'm gonna ask you, what's marriage? One man, one lifetime. Our culture has that messed up. Our culture says, well, marriage can be anybody. Marriage is just who you love. I've recently heard, and you probably have too, um, you know, we, we've seen the whole, uh, um, the whole agenda of, of the LGBTQZ crowd, all of that going. Uh, but now, now I read in the news uh, just, just this last year, of uh, somewhere in China that a man created a, like a robot to marry, wanted to marry his robot. I'm reading news now of people wanting to marry their pets. Um, there's news coming out of different places in the Middle, not in the Middle East, in the, in, in the Eastern countries of people wanting to marry their family and um, something even here in America of, uh, of a man wanting to marry his own daughter. And they, they're saying, well, we love each other. And, and love, is, love is who you, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, not what God said. Love is this. It's just whoever you love, whoever you feel for, and yada, yada, yada. Listen, that's our culture's mindset. Teenagers, hey, that's our culture's mindset of, of, of love and all of that. That's not love. No, marriage, God defines it. One man, one woman, one lifetime. God designed marriage. Right? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 24, that God said a man and a, and a woman are going to be together. And it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. God uses marriage to show the world what his love for us looks like. That's the, the married thing. God said, I'm going to use it. Why? Because God designed it. He defined it. He designed it. God gave the details for it. You want to know anything about marriage? Go read passages like Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, uh, places in Genesis, Proverbs, Hebrews 13, Mark 10, Colossians 3, and many more. Listen, God gives details for every aspect of marriage. What's the fourth thought? God defends marriage. Hey, listen, God will fight for your marriage. He will. God, God will fight for your marriage. Uh, Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all. The word honorable there, it means precious in reputation. That's from God saying, hey, what you have is precious to me. I will fight for it. God defends marriage. God will fight for your marriage. These are just a few, few thoughts that we need to know going into 1 Corinthians 7. You still with me this morning? Okay, now if you're single, you're like, pastor, this doesn't apply. Hold on, because it does apply to you, and we're gonna get to some things that truly apply to every single person. So let's dive into this. What are some principles from 1 Corinthians 7 that we can learn about marriage? Number one, 
Marriage is a place where the physical relationship is allowed, expected, and recommended. Marriage between a man and a woman for life is a place where the physical relationship is allowed, expected, and recommended. We see this in those first seven verses, and I said it a moment ago, but our culture has a horrible misinterpretation of the physical relationship between a man and a woman. And I'm not going to get into it all this morning, but the fact of the matter is, culture says, listen, culture says, live it up, sleep with whoever you want, plurality is not a problem, don't get married until you know you can enjoy someone physically, and, and on and on and on it goes. But God says, no, inside the bounds of marriage is when the physical relationship between a husband and a wife is the, the, where it should take place and where it is the most fulfilling. Not before marriage, not outside of marriage. No, no, inside the marriage. That's why in verse number one, it says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. The word touch there, it means with intention of going further. Nevertheless, verse two, I say unto you, let every man have his own wife. Let every wife have her own husband. What is Paul getting at? What is God getting at? Hey, marriage is the place. Marriage is the place where the physical relationship is allowed, expected, and recommended. I said it a few weeks ago when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter number six, the physical relationship between a man, a man and a woman is God's gift to your marriage. And I'm not trying to be weird this morning. Married couples, God wants you to enjoy it. God wants you to, to he allows it, he expects it, he recommends it. Why? It's gonna bring fulfillment. It's going to bring completion. And I'm gonna say it this way. Physical intimacy between a husband and a wife is something that shows that there's a spiritual intimacy between a husband and a wife. I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. But the first thought this morning, marriage is a place where a physical relationship's allowed, expected, and recommended. What's the second thing? Marriage is the rule, and celibacy is the exception. All right, marriage is the rule, and celibacy is the exception. <clears throat> If you read 1 Corinthians 7, just kind of a face value, you might look at it and say, well, in this, it looks like God is recommending people to be single. No. No, marriage, God designed marriage. God said that marriage is good. However, look at verse number seven. I love this verse. Look at verse seven, don't miss it. For I would that all men were even as myself. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, I would recommend stay single, but... Every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Here's what Paul is saying. Now listen, just don't miss it this morning and I really hope I don't preach for two hours. I really do. Here's what Paul is getting at in verse number seven. Hey, if you're single, if you're single, being single where you're at is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. If you're married, being married where you're at in your marriage, it's a gift from God. Whatever stage of life you're at, that's God's gift to you. Marriage is the rule. Celibacy is the exception. Now, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> our, our culture says this. Our culture says if you're a man and you don't want to get married, then you probably actually like other men. That's what culture says. Culture says if you're a lady and you don't want to get married to a man, you probably, you probably, uh, you, you, want, you want to actually marry, you actually like a woman. Let's go back to those four elements. God defines marriage. God defines relationships. What is it? One man, one woman, one lifetime. Can I just tell you this morning that if you're here and you're a single person and you're like, I don't have a desire to get married, you are not weird Okay, listen, you are not, culture says, oh, you can't be alone. Culture says, oh my goodness, you have to. No, 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 no. Don't listen to culture, listen to Christ. And what does he say? It's your gift. If you're single and you don't have to get married, God says, I've gifted you with that. You know what you do? 
You say, all right, God, I'm gonna serve you with what I have where I'm at. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. So marriage is the rule, celibacy is the exception. Next thing, marriage is to be exclusive. I'm not gonna talk long about this, but in the passage it says, let every man have his own wife. Let every wife have her own husband. Can I say this morning, the Corinthians were writing to Paul and they were saying, they were saying this and give us context. Context matters. We talk about that often. The, the believers at Corinth, they were saying this. There was a belief called asceticism. There was a religion called asceticism. What is asceticism? You can, you can look it up in the dictionary and there's some decent definitions. But asceticism basically says to be holy in life, I've got to separate myself from any pleasures in life. Okay, so I'm not going to eat anything that tastes good. I'm not going to eat any dessert. I'm not going to uh, do things that, that feel good. I'm not going to partake in a physical relationship. I'm not going to, that's what some of you are like, that sounds like keto. <laughs> it's not, all right? Asceticism, asceticism says, I'm, listen, asceticism says I'm closer to God if I deny every physical enjoyment in life. Let me ask you, is that Bible? No, that's not Bible. That's not Bible. God didn't say you get closer to me by absolutely saying no to every single enjoyment. No, he didn't say that. So because of this, here's where the church of Corinth was. Asceticism was influencing them. There were three main influencers in those early churches, Judaism, the Judaizers, Gnosticism, and asceticism. That's a whole different message. I preached a whole series on it in Colossians two years ago. You can go back and listen to it. So asceticism was creeping in, and now you had believers from the church of Corinth, and they're saying, hey, Paul, Paul, hey, listen, can we be closer to God if we abstain, even the married people, if we abstain from any physical relationship ever, even in our marriage, Paul, we, we, uh, we're going to abstain from that because then we know we'll be closer to God. And Paul writes to them, no, that's not right. If you're married, marriage is to be exclusive. You can enjoy the physical relationship within the marriage, every man with his own wife. God's plan, God's plan for you is to enjoy every aspect of your marriage. And God's plan for most people is that they would get married. Most people are called of God to find that person that God has intended them. It's not for everybody, but it is for most people. Again, you say, well, pastor, I'm single. I have no desire to get married. That's God's gift to you. We're gonna keep doing that all day. Keep repeating that. The next principle, marriage is to be a selfless commitment. Marriage is to be a selfless commitment. If you see in the verses, it says that the husband should render due benevolence to the wife and the wife to the husband for the wife controls not her own body. The husband controls not his own body. Hey, marriage, not just in the physical world, but uh, marriage should be a selfless commitment. What does that mean? It means that my life is now lived to focus. Listen, it's lived to now focus number one upon God, but number two upon my spouse. My spouse comes second only to God, not to me. It's not about me. It's about living the law of deference in my marriage. Now, truly, that is a principle that every single one of us should apply. Where do we read that? Philippians chapter two, verse four and verse five. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was the mind? Humility. What was Jesus doing? Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. He was concerned about others. That's a principle every person can know. What is it? Marriage is to be... A selfless commitment. Hey, every single day, every Christian, single or married, can be selflessly committed to Christ, putting Jesus first and others second. Remember, remember that little adage, those of you who grew up in church, my parents always said it, your parents said it if you grew up in church. You wanna have real joy? Remember, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. What's that, what's that from? It's from Philippians chapter two. In the marriage, marriage is to be a selfless commitment. All right, what's the next principle? Marriage is built best when God comes first. Marriage is built best when God comes first. Verse five, defraud ye not one the other, except it be for consent, with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. What's this verse saying? This verse indicates that there is always a priority with God. 
You may not be together physically, but don't do that unless it's a spiritual matter, unless you're saying, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take a break from this so that we can just kind of redial in on what? On our walk with the Lord. Marriage is built best when God comes first. Our desire should be to have a close relationship with God first, then a close relationship with our spouse. What's the next principle? Marriage is a lifelong, all-in commitment. In verse 10, verses 10 through 16, there's a number of thoughts that we could, we could find out. But basically, it's saying this. Hey, if you're together, stay together. Fight for your marriage. Hey, if, you're, if both couples or if both spouses are saved, fight for your marriage and stay together. If one is saved and one is not, and you can stay together, hey, fight for your marriage. Why? God's best is always that people would stay together. Now, let me say this this morning, and I say it often when we talk about uh, marriage and divorce and things in church. I am not talking right Right now, listen, I'm not talking about your past. Some of you, you'd say, well, pastor, I, I have, I've already been divorced. I've had this. And it's interesting to me. I had another pastor friend that said this that just, you'll understand in a second. It's interesting to me that in churches, a pastor might get up and say, hey, we're gonna talk about marriage and divorce and the physical relationship. And people who haven't been divorced or haven't been married yet they kind of get a little nervous. Oh no, what's he gonna say? Pastor, that's a really touchy subject. Pastor, we shouldn't, don't talk about that thing in church. But then people who have been divorced come up afterwards and say, Pastor, thanks for preaching that. Pastor, I wish someone would have preached that to me 27 years ago. Pastor, I wish I would have known those principles. You know what we need to know? Here's what God said. God said, I wanna write into your, I wanna write to you about every aspect of life. And so if you've been divorced before, I'm not talking about your past, I'm talking about those of you that are married in your marriage right now. Those of you that are single that may get married someday, that marriage is a lifelong all-in commitment. That's what verse 10 through 16 teach. And again, we could sit and spend tons of time on these and maybe someday we will. But if you look at verse 10 through verse number 16, verse one through verse number seven, you find God's plan for marriage. All right, you're not married. What's second, pastor? God's plan for the single person. You say, I'm a widow. I'm not married, I, I have never been married. What's God's plan for me? Let's go real quick, verse number eight. I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows, it's good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better, <coughs> excuse me, to marry than to burn. Now, skip down to verse number 25. We're gonna read quickly. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Again, that verse, now Paul's not saying God hasn't told me this. He's saying Jesus didn't necessarily speak on this. And you can dial in at the end of the chapter. We'll see how he, he mentions that. He says, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it's good for a man so to be. Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, but uh, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is uh, married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your profit not that I may cast a snare upon you or a, a trap and guilt you, but for that which is comely or uh, that which is uh, going to afford help, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, 
Uh, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. That verse right there very quickly, that's actually written to a father about his daughter, okay? And I'm gonna explain that in just a second. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power of his own will, and hath uh, so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law, as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the spirit of God. There's a lot of verses there too, isn't there? But I want you to focus back in on verse number 26. Okay, verse 26. I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. It's good for the present distress. I want you to key in on that phrase because Paul is writing at a time when the church at Corinth, they were going through some stressful situation. And here's what Paul said, basically in, in those uh, 15, 16 verses, here's what we're gonna discover. Because of our current situation, because of the current uh, atmosphere and everything that's going on, the current distress, if you're single, it might be better for you to stay single. If you're married, you know you're gonna stay married. But if you're single and you have to get married, hey, that's fine too. And you say, well, well then what is, what is Paul saying? What is God's plan? Here's God's plan. I'll give it to you in one sentence. If you're single, if you're married, embrace the stage that you're at and live an undistracted life for Jesus Christ. If you're married, if you're single, who does that cover? Everybody. What do you do? You live an undistracted life for Jesus Christ. Specifically, verse 25 through 40 is teaching to the singles. He says, if you're single, embrace your life living for Christ. Live it, to the, live it for the Lord and have an undistracted attention for him. Well, Apparently, there was some sort of, verse 26, there's some sort of distressing situation that was taking place at that time. And Paul says, based upon the situation, it may be better for you to be single. But if your situation would be better if you're married, then get married. Regardless of these things, here's a few principles Paul lines out for the single as well as for the married. What's the first one? Time is short. Verse 29, time is short. There's only a little time for us to accomplish the work that God has us. So listen, Single people, don't get consumed with the business of being single. Hey, married people, don't get consumed with the business of being married. No, live an undistracted life for the Lord. God, spouse, myself. Jesus, others, myself. If you're married, don't let your marriage distract you. If you're single, don't let your singleness distract you. Why? Because time is short. Steward your time. Steward your life. Why? Eternity is around the corner. Second principle, don't be controlled by your emotions. Don't be controlled by your emotions. Verse number 30, if you look at verse number 30, Paul says, they that weep as though they wept not. They that rejoice as though they rejoice not. They that buy as though they possess not. Hey, sometimes we allow our emotions to get the better of us. And here's what Paul is writing about. Don't allow your emotions to control you. Follow God in spite of your emotions. You can be happy that you're, that you're married. And Paul is saying, hey, don't let your emotions control your life. You can be sad because you're single. Or you can be happy because you're single. Or sad because you're married. Whatever it is, don't let emotions control your life. Don't be controlled by emotions. Later, Paul would write about being filled with the Spirit of God. Verse number 31. Verse 31, what's the next? Another principle. It's not wrong to have stuff, but it's wrong if stuff has you. Look at verse number 31. They that use this world not abusing it. That word abuse right there, it means to overuse for personal gain. We all use this world, but we don't need to overuse it. Remember, this world and this system passes away. So what? So don't let it consume you. Verse 32, don't be consumed with anxiety. Don't be consumed with anxiety. Verse 32, but I would have you without carefulness. I don't want you to live anxiously. Now, for the sake of time, I just want to summarize everything that Paul talks about in these, in these verses. 
In these first few verses, he talks to every single person and he says, hey, listen, take your life. If you're single, take your life and just give it to God. In the following verses, he says to every parent, hey, if you have single kids, if you're gonna give them away in marriage, that's okay. But if they're gonna remain single, that's okay too. Use your family to glorify the Lord. Let your kids have a life that would be uh, all about God. And all of these things just come back to the principle, live an undistracted life life. Live an undistracted life for Jesus Christ. Paul writes to a parent who's about to allow their child to get married. He says, whichever way you go, you're doing fine. Remember, we're in a present distress, so if they stay single, it might be better for them. If they get married, that might be better. That's, that's your own personal judgment in your family, but regardless of where you're at, time is short. Don't get consumed by anything else except for the Lord. Embrace your stage and live an undistracted life for Christ. And that brings us to our final thought this morning. And that's God's plan for every individual. Go to verse 17. Verse number 17. But as God, excuse me, but as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. I preach this everywhere. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather, use it for the good. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. You're free in Christ, even if you're a slave. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. We've covered a lot this morning. And I honestly thought about, well, I'm just gonna break it up into three or four different messages. But I want us to see how all of this chapter, married, single, previously divorced, married again, widowed, I wanna see all of this in context. Are you listening? If you you don't get anything else, if you don't get anything else, Get the next phrase that I'm about to give you. Whatever stage you're in, whatever stage you're in, use your life to follow after the Lord. That is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Paul really nails it down in these these verses that we just read. Verse number 17, he talks about keeping God's commandments. Verse 20, he talks about serving God. Verse number 24, he talks about using my life for him, using my life to point to him. Here's what Paul is giving us the idea of, and this is where we'll spend our next few minutes and be done for the day. Paul is giving the idea of this, stop looking for greener grass. Listen, all too often we can wish for other circumstances. We think that our circumstances are horrible and we look for greener grass. You all know the illustration of the the, the, the sheep or that cow that's head is through the fence eating grass from the other side of the fence and it's don't, stop looking for grass, greener grass on the other side of the fence. You know what we do and what society does? Listen, society tries to manipulate situations to make things different and here's why, because they are not finding fulfillment. Physical, emotional, spiritual, every single person who is born in this world is looking for real fulfillment. You know what we're looking for? We are looking for something to complete us. And married couples, listen, married couples live often an idolatrous life. How? Because they try to let their spouse be God in their life. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right. She always tries to control me. 
Yeah, you're right. He always, no, 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 that's what I'm talking that's not, that's not I'm talking about. Listen, there's many married couples in here that they give the throne of their heart to their spouse and they're not fulfilled. Why? Because the throne of your heart does not belong to your spouse. It belongs to your God. And many single people, they give the throne of their heart to that hope of one day being married and finding that person and all oh, the joy. And my life will be complete when I do that. And then they get married and they go, ah, what have I done? You know, it's because you're, the throne of your heart doesn't belong. Listen, the throne of your heart doesn't belong to the future relationship. The throne of your heart doesn't belong to your kids. The throne of your heart doesn't belong uh, to that spouse that passed away or that spouse that, that, that left you. Listen, the throne of your heart, it belongs to God. And so here's what Paul is saying. Stop looking for greener grass. If you got saved... Know that you're saved in the Lord and you're free in Christ and you have the ability to now use your life for God Almighty. It's an incredible passage. These verses in, in here on uncircumcision and circumcision, I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but circumcision in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament happened for Jews on the eighth day and it was a, a change to their physiology, right? It was a change to uh, their, their anatomy. In the Old Testament... God had given it to the Jews as a sign that they belonged to him, okay? In the New Testament, remember Acts um, 15? Acts 15, here's what happened in Acts 15. There were Judaizers. Judaizers were those that took the law and partnered it with Christianity and said, well, if you're really gonna be a Christian, you've gotta also follow the Jewish way. Acts 15 solves that problem. Okay, one of the things they were teaching was if you really belong to God, then you'll get circumcised. To the men, if you really belong to God, then you'll get circumcised. And so they sent uh, um, the, the believers that uh, I think it was Antioch, they sent um, a group down to the church at Jerusalem and they asked James and Peter and the leaders of the church and they said, no, that's not true. You're, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ and you don't need to add anything to Jesus. Well, Here's what was happening in Corinth. <clears throat> Again, I'm not gonna get into it. We'll just leave this right where it is. In Corinth, they actually had, and at this time, even in that culture, they had a reverse surgery. So someone who was circumcised could be uncircumcised again. It was a reverse surgery. And you say, well, <clears throat> Why would Paul write this? If you look at the verses, verse 17 and eight, or verse 18 and 19, here's what Paul said. If you're circumcised, don't want to be uncircumcised. And if you're uncircumcised, don't want to be circumcised. Well, why would Paul write that? In those days, it was common for men to do any physical activity nude. What would they do? They would go to bathhouses, Roman bathhouses. They would all go in there and it's disgusting to think about. They'd all go in there and sit and talk and just, they'd be there. And if they played sports, they played them naked. And if they did any other activities where uh, the you know, women wouldn't be around, and often even some women would be around, but they would do all of these things, bathhouses, workouts, athletics, all of that stuff, they would do it without clothes on. Well, listen. That means that somebody else is seeing if a person is circumcised or uncircumcised. Okay, now, the Jews, the Jews who had been circumcised, they were like, we don't want the stigma of being a Jew because I'm around people all the time and they see that I'm a Jew and I have the stigma of being a Jew. I want uncircumcision. The Gentiles that were saved were like, we want the stigma. I want people to know that, that now I belong to God. And here's what Paul writes to them. You're both wrong. You're both wrong. Then he uses the illustration of a slave. Hey, if you came to know Christ and you were a slave, if you can be free, great. But if not, still serve God. If you came to Christ and you were free, use your life to serve God. You say, Pastor, how does all of that tie together? 
If you read verse 17 through verse number 24, here's what Paul is saying from verse one all the way to verse number 40. If you know Jesus Christ, if you're saved, if you're a Jew, if you're a Gentile, if you're married, if you're unmarried, if you're single, if you're a widow, whatever case you're in, if you know Christ as your savior, you have a gift from God in salvation. Use your life for him. That's the context of the entire, the entire chapter. Stop trying to be something you're not. Stop trying to go back. Stop looking for greener grass. So this morning, here's the point. Don't spend your life complaining about your circumstances and where you are. Be sold out for God. Be sold out for God. Whoever you are, with whatever you have, in whatever situation you're in, be fully committed to him. Stop worrying about where you're not or what you're not or what you can't do or what's happened in your life or what you don't have and instead choose to serve and follow God with who you are, with what you are, with what you have and with where you are. Listen, the station in life that you have from God, that is God's gift to you. So here's the thought. If you're married, God wants you to be happy and fulfilled in your marriage. However, happiness is not the primary goal of your marriage. It is a good part of it, but it's not the goal. Here's what God wants. God wants you to be happy and fulfilled. And you'll be most fulfilled when you take your spouse off the throne of your heart and put God back on. If you're single, God wants you to be happy and fulfilled as being single. He doesn't want you to live a life feeling as though you're missing out or that you've been robbed. He wants you to be happy and fulfilled in the stage that you're in. So what do you do? Take off whatever's on the throne of your heart and put God on. Stop looking for greener grass on the other side of the fence, but all too often the opposite is true. We look for greener grass. We have a person who's unhappily married and a person who's unhappily single. I'm married, but I don't wanna be. I'm single, but I don't wanna be. Hey, listen, God has a plan for your life in the exact spot that you're in. Don't spend your life looking over the fence. Embrace the stage that you're in and serve God there. If you're married, invest in your marriage. Seek to honor God by loving your spouse. Love them second only to God. Love them selflessly, humbly, Fight for your marriage and be a better servant for God because you're married. If you're single, you don't have a pressing desire to be married, live a pure life, have a focus upon God and be a better servant for God because you're single. The point is serve God where you are. Have God on the throne of your heart and you will find happiness and fulfillment. Pastor, that's not what the world says. You're right. But we've got questions and we've got a God with all of the answers. So this morning, I just wanna ask you, what stage of life are you in? What stage of life are you in? I'm married, pastor, the marriage is, it's on the rocks. Hey, God has hope for your marriage. Fight for it. Put him on the throne of your life. Put him on the throne of your marriage. Pastor, I'm single and I just hate it. Hey, put God on the throne of your heart and see what God can do. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.